This is Michael Leary with More Than Meets the IRB, a series of conversations about research participants and the people who study them. More Than Meets the IRB is a joint initiative of Washington University in St. Louis and public responsibility in medicine and research. Primer advances the highest ethical standards in the conduct of biomedical, behavioral, and social science research. Primer accomplishes this mission through education, membership services, professional certification, public policy initiatives, and community building. We are coming to you today from the campus of Lindenwood University. In this second podcast of our new year, I had the privilege of talking with Elisa Hurley, director of Primer. We begin talking about the NPRM and its various proposals for the future of the consent process. These proposals may be the most controversial aspect of the NPRM, but this controversy has generated a lot of interesting conversation about consent, respect for persons, and the boundaries of IRB review. We talk together about the shape this conversation has been taking. We also encounter a little important history about Primer. Elisa Hurley is the Executive Director of Public Responsibility in Medicine and Research. Dr. Hurley holds a PhD in Philosophy from Georgetown University and held a Greenwall Fellowship in Bioethics and Health Policy at the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics and Georgetown University's Kennedy Institute of Ethics. A few of the proposals in the NPRM have generated a lot of conversation about rethinking the consent process. The new rule has recently been published, and many are reading carefully through the new policy to see precisely what elements of these proposals are now potentially part of federal law. But I was able to talk to Dr. Hurley about this complex situation. Are we now thinking better about consent? What might change about how we build policy or practice in the U.S.? I think in some ways... The NPRM and specifically what seems to have been the most controversial part given the volume of comments that came in, this biospecimen proposal and the proposal that you would have to get broad consent for biospecimens, whether identified or de-identified. I think that it's been an occasion, so right, even if there isn't a new rule, a new final rule, it's been an occasion to really sort of blow up and, and, and think about how, and this is the way I think about it, how we should essentially operationalize this basic principle, right. respect for persons in this context. Right. And and there's one proposal in the NPRM, which it seems to be deeply unpopular. <laughs> but then the question is, okay, well, then what else? Because, What's next? Because traditional, cons- you know, prospective consent seems, everybody seems to agree, sort of unduly burdensome would really, you know, halt or slow down the advance of research. So then again, it's it's what else? And now we have you know, so is it something more like mere notifying people that, hey, we take specimens here, right? but people think, well, that doesn't seem robust enough. Is it notification with an ability to opt out? Is it? So I think there are a lot of, and, and what I think is interesting is this is now, I think, going beyond biospecimens, that kind of discussion about alternative models. So it's really of, expanded from there. I, I think so. Yeah. And now, and now you know, I, I've been seeing phrases where we talk about sort of notification and authorization as an umbrella for the kind, do, doing the kind of work that we informed consent is supposed to do, which is, you know, in a nutshell, I think we think, I think, operationalizing respect for persons, but doing it in a way that has to be context sensitive, essentially. Right. And so I think we're in the middle of a really interesting time of having the conversation about how else might that look, given what new research methodologies, including big data and biospecimens and biobanking, look like. Right, and comparative effectiveness and our research designs are really shifting toward forcing our hand on having to think in the IRB context differently about respect for persons specifically. 
Uh, you mentioned a few words there. Conversation was one, and operationalizing respect for persons. So that really seems to be focusing on some kind of domain of the regulations that are really not explicit or yeah. uh, perhaps not even present. Right. So are you seeing something beyond the regulations that we all need to be maybe collectively considering in terms of how we consent people into this type of research? For example, many are talking now about how the decision whether a consent process is appropriate or not is very context sensitive. And that one of the strengths of an IRB is that they understand context well enough to be able to say, we feel that participants will be adequately consented. And a, a large central IRB, for example, or a blanket consent process might not be able to do that fine-tuned context-sensitive work. And also words like conversation pop up in here. That word is not anywhere near the regulations, right? right? Because the right. uh, regulations are very specific to document, authorization, which makes sense. But yet we feel that conversations are somehow more trustworthy Right. So what do you think we need to do? Should maybe IRBs be reviewing things differently? Wow. Um, so maybe. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think we're, I think there is this question, you know, IRBs get so, I guess for lack of a better word, uh, bogged down in some of the making sure, in the regulatory elements. And I think sometimes, and there is some, I think, philosophy that, IRB should do no more than because it would be sort of then we'd be, we'd, it'd be too burdensome and it would take too long then or that's not part of their remit no more than check the criteria for the 111 criteria or something right, like right. that but I think you raise a really interesting question about you know whether the, the IRB I mean that's why we have these committees the idea was a committee of people there aren't algorithms to answer these questions about is right. this an ethical study or not, or is this a is this a you know just way of of finding your subjects or not? The idea was a group of people who come with different backgrounds and expectations are going to have a conversation and arrive at judgment, and a different group of people might actually arrive at a different judgment about the very same case. And some people have said that's a problem with the IRB system. I'm not always sure that I agree with that. I think it's just the inevitable byproduct of a committee process, a conversation. And so I think that's a really interesting question. I guess I hadn't thought about that, about whether we need to sort of step back and think about IRB work as more of a conversation about some of these larger ethical, how we how something like we should operationalize right. the principles that are our sort of large-scale governing principles. Well, as an IRB director, I listen to uh, my IRB committees of my institution deliberate, and I often feel like they get stuck in the same patterns of conversation because they're the same conversations and they use the same words and phrases that they've used for years yes. within the IRB because they feel kind of locked into a certain yes. pattern of review. They earnestly want to think more concretely and contextually about what it's like to be a participant, but sometimes I don't feel like they're armed with the right vocabulary for that, perhaps. Yes. And even myself as an IRB director, I don't feel like I'm equipped with right. that because right. we're still fairly stuck in this pattern of review. Yes. Because even though so many wonderful proposals are aired at places like Primer, no one's really stepped out to implement something. Or to say it's o it's okay for your IRB to take 10 or minutes it's okay. and actually right. talk about right. that, right? Because that it feels like it's... But but that's outside of what we do or something like that. I mean, I'm struck by the, to me, when you sort of ask this question, you know, as you know, there likely know there was a National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine yes, report that yes. came out in the second half of it. You know, it's this very bold recommendation to 
essentially, you know, call another national commission such as the one that drafted the Belmont report. Right. Belmont 2.0. Um, and have a Belmont 2.0, a Belmont for the 21st century. And really, and with, but with the idea that what we're doing there is stepping back and not starting over, not throwing it all out, but really re-examining the sort of very framework and the legal, regulatory, ethical framework. And it seems to me that, to me, there's something about that that seems very right when you look at the kind of conversation about biospecimens and in particular, but this conversation about how else do we do this thing called consent or what other ways might we not just operationalize or show demonstrate respect, but demonstrate or transparency or, you know, other sort right. of values actually or, or principles that actually now seem to be coming in play. That was one of the things that really intrigued me about the report, this idea of opening it up. We have this, I mean, the Belmar Report is a beautiful document. Yes. Every time I read it, I find something new. And right. It's so it's elegant. Really, it's so elegant, so simple. Yes. Three principles. But this question of are those still the only principles not so much that those are wrong and bad we would throw those out but what about other principles right and so right and i I recently heard a representative of the national academy say well we might even have a new principle and i was thinking that's like trying to imagine a new new color right Uh, what other principle could there be it's kind of exciting it is exciting and that is but then to me that would speak to something like you know you could imagine if you open that up then the committees that are charged with operationalizing whatever the framework is could have a different conversation. Right. And perhaps there might be present in their mandate for things around advocacy, around education that aren't really the purview of the IRB. Right. But in many cases, the IRB in an institution will find themselves being the only node or office that thinks about those very important responsibilities when it comes to how we do science within a community. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that. So we don't like to think that IRBs need to do anything in addition to reviewing studies based on the yeah. criteria for approval, which yeah. is really the uh, uh, the best way to think about and contain the work of IRBs and ensure that good good review processes are happening. But what about those additional things? Is the IRB the right place to start thinking about perhaps advocacy or the, the kinds of education that can enhance the consent process by helping people in a local area understand the processes of research before they're even invited to participate in them? So one way, I think it's such a good question. So one way I could see that it that it could be reasonably thought to be, to, or one way to frame this as within IRB purview is, uh, so I think that education is so closely related to consent. So, and what I mean okay. is that by that is that Oftentimes, I I think when research subjects come to the, the process of, you know, where somebody's trying to obtain their consent, oftentimes that's the first they're really being educated right. about a lot of elements of research randomization, placebo control, right? right? Just that, that, and that's too late in my view. I mean, you can't, I mean, especially if you're thinking about somebody who might be sick. So you have a 21 page consent form and maybe in a good process, there's, you know, there's an actual conversation and all that. But the idea that you would be doing the educating there in that moment with this consent process around these probably rather fraught circumstances, as opposed to education being something that's much more global, starts earlier, is public facing. And to me, that's, you know, again, actually, it really goes back to this idea. We're wringing our hands as a community right now about how do we properly respect persons in sort of the modern research context with all its additional complexity. 
And to me, the idea of, well, my, maybe we start by just educating potential subjects as a, like, as a society. Right. We have public education about what research is. Public and you education. actually have to do, well, I mean, public, because I think the government should fund this. Okay. I think it should be part of what NIH and HHS are doing is funding research. Yes. So that then when you come to the Precision Medicine Initiative or, you know, large-scale biospecimen research, you've already done some of the work that we now think consent has to do. And there might be less hand-wringing about are we appropriately respecting because we've respected people essentially all along because we've been treating them as potential partners in research all along by educating them about what it means, right. what the benefits are, what the risks are, what we do and don't know, why this is important, why it's important for so many people in the case of biospecimen research, why we get more out of it if more people contribute. Right. We have these large banks of tissue. And and that you've sort of brought people along as potential, you know, participants. And then so then when it's time to say, and hey, would you give your tissue? You have an informed person who says, I feel like I've been respected. This process is so transparent. Sure, I will, because I know what's involved. And that that whole thing would replace, I'm going to give you a 20 page consent form or whatever. I'm going to have a consent conversation right now. We're going to try to sort of educate you and get you on board all at once. Not, right. That's a caricature, of course, of consent, but it just seems to it's me. It's not that far off, though. Yeah. In right. many circumstances. So that's kind of this picture that I, and as we move to things like thinking about, you know, learning healthcare systems, and so you have this, mm -hmm. which, you know, whether that exists or not or will ever exist, but this idea of integrating learning and research into care and all of that, it just seems like an entirely different model that is based on education and transparency, again, could do a lot of this work of right. that we now expect this sort of time-delimited process of informed consent. So this do. idea might be completely idealistic, but it sounds like respect for persons and consent really begins in a national conversation that's ongoing about the research that's happening, the research that's being funded, what that means, what these words mean, that that becomes part of our educational culture as well. Right, why you are so important as a potential volunteer. Right, right. what this does, what your participation generates for society. How we as a society have, you know, here, and I mean, you know, you can imagine telling the stories. Here's how we got the medicines that we got. Here's how people contributed along yes. the way, what that right. process looks like. You could be a vital part of that. So back to your question, you know, again, I think if the IRB, if it's a matter of, because IRBs only have a, a limited, they do have they a do, limited amount of time such and limited resources. resources. But if some of those were away from reviewing these 25 and 30 page consent forms and, and sort of wringing their hands about that and instead thinking more globally about what's our, you know, and I was talking before about sort of large scale public, but educational endeavors, but you could imagine a hospital or a clinic having their internal educational process. They have their materials up. We collect specimens here. Here's what that means. Right. Five things you need to know. Right. And then instead of us as an IRB having to wring our hands about the consent form, we're looking at the educational materials, the brochure, the thing that's on the video screen, what you're handed, what's sort of plastered all over. And then the consent is maybe only this, has to be this sort of short Right. script or whatever and we it can is. feel okay about that. and we can feel okay because we've you know and again this is a this is very sort of a quick and dirty version of this yes. there's a lot of complexity here yeah. but but we we, we hear people talking about that model a lot yeah so yeah. it's not it doesn't seem like something that's out of the realm of imagination or out of the out, you know really out of bounds for what people are are thinking toward yeah yeah so perhaps relevant it, you know, to this conversation is the the name of Primer itself begins <laughs> with the word public. And I've always really wondered, in what way do we have public responsibility in, in medicine? What does that word public mean? 
I will not be able to give the history lesson on why that's in the name of Primer in particular. To me, I think it's an actual, it's actually an opportunity perhaps around some of the things that we've been talking about to think about, you know, it says public responsibility, but what is the responsibility sort of to the public actually might be a better way to think about it. Let's pause here for a second. Since we recorded this conversation, someone at Primer did a little digging and provided a really good answer to this question, one that is just as relevant now as it was back in the 70s. Primer was founded back in 1974. At that time, there was an increase in questioning and skepticism about the role of experts, including scientists and doctors. The goal of Primer as an organization was to harness and organize and give voice to some of this growing discontent and questioning among non-academics. And by that, I mean patients and research participants and policymakers, people of the community, and also a culture of academic medicine, research, and science, a big community of scientific experts that had gotten a little too sure of itself and didn't have enough checks and balances on it. So public in primer refers to a responsibility both to that public, but also the responsibility of that public. This has been More Than Meets the IRB. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next time.